Thank you for coming. Um, it's the first time I give a presentation based on my social media strategy. So it was a kind of an uh, interesting exercise to try to put together the various stream of work that I do with the various websites and tools. Um, but the way that I would like to frame this is uh, it's very much based on the um, on this, on the, on the definition of the SRC, the Economic and Social Research Council, of uh, what is impact. So the idea that uh, to maximize the impact of our academic work, we also need to think more strategically to what are the various stakeholders we would like to talk to, um, the way that uh, our specific research can make an impact on the social policies, on the broader public debates, and finally also the way that we can disseminate our work, and particularly in this definition, I find this interesting, the assemble that they provide, one is organizing public events, conference, interaction with the media. Strangely enough, there is no social media here. So it's a quite telling, uh, uh, in a way, this, my presentation will add um, to this. So la, the key somehow, uh, domain in which I see my work placed are three. One, of course, is the main one is the, in the academic world. So I try to speak to scholars and students, and my research has to be validated by them. Um, the second domain is the policy domain, which encompass both in the sense of statutory policy and uh, non-governmental organization, activists, and, um, well, I should have said, I work on refugees, asylum seekers, undocumented migrants, minority, vulnerable people. So in a way, there is almost uh, an ethical dimension to my work that f forced me, in inverted commas, to also engage with policy. It's really part of what I see as my work. Um, the third group is the public more broadly, in which I will mainly focus on the role of the relationship with the media. How do I build a relationship with the media? And um, there are two key tools that I would like to look at uh, in the presentation. One is um, the social media, more sort of generally defined. And the other one is multimedia. So I'll try and also I'll try to see how the two relate to, to each other. Multimedia in the sense of multiple medias, rather than in the idea of just using things which have got a little bit of a, a hypertext inside or something like that. So first, uh, in the sense of social media, I work with all these tools. There are others, of course, but the, I put them more or less in order of relevance for the kind of work I do. So in first of all, the use of Twitter, um, I have a, a personal blog, an academic blog, but... Um, um, uh, academia.edu, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course still a lot of use of emails and mail and normal mail as well. Uh, and the way that I approach the use of the various media, and the problem of this kind of presentation is that I don't really know what is your level of knowledge of each of these tools. So, so I will try to give some example and show a couple of the things. So for example, I will show you my website and my academia page just to give you a sense of what it is, but maybe we can discuss more in the question later on uh, about the specific of the tools. Um, but what I would say that the way they approach this is a kind of as, a as a, an ecosystem. So each of these tools talk to each other and helps me to maximize my outreach to the various audiences that I'm targeting. So just to give a, an idea, um, these are the, the, viewers, the, the views of my blogs in the last 90 days. Um, on average, I have about... Uh, um, 1,500 view, unique view per month, which for academic block is pretty good. Um, you got a sense of the, the global coverage, so for where the people were looking at the blog. Uh, the main, let's see if I can zoom in here. Yeah, 
So the main country from where the, the viewers look at my work is mainly the UK, the United States, Italy, Canada, Netherlands, Germany, Belgium and Australia, but then also the other are quite significant, about the 28%. So it's a quite um, far-reaching uh, blog as a tool. The other aspect that, the other, um, the other key tool that I work on is uh, with is, um, is Twitter. Um, for any of you who use the Twitter, one of the key things I would suggest if you set up an account is uh, the description of who you are, which is very useful. It's the first thing that people look at to decide if you are uh, a reliable source of whatever you work on or not. In sense, uh, and you choose how do you present, of course, to yourself. But because I use it very much as a as a tool for uh, uh, disseminating my own work, I sort of try to phrase it in a way that uh, um, communicate that aspect. So basically I say I'm senior researcher at the University of Oxford working on irregular migration, migra migrant children and families, asylum in Europe and uh, the Roma. So just people know what is in the team and there is an aspect in uh, doing all this Twitter and Twitter is, in a way, is your public profile. You become slave of your public profile. So you cannot start tweeting about whatever you think like that day. I mean, I sometimes do it, but uh, most of the tweets need to be more or less around that area because, in a way, you create your own, uh, um, uh, you know, your, your own capital based on your credibility on those issues. If you start to divert, you lose some of your credibility. So in a sense, uh, if you want to talk about other things, just create another separate account in which you talk about personal things. If you like pottery, for example, do it, but not mix things together. It's quite important. Um, if you look at the, the followers on Twitter, I want to give you a sense of uh, who they are, more or less, who the other people. I got uh, a moment um, about 1,100 followers. Um, which is actually more or less how a, a, a research center will have in many cases. So in a sense, as an individual, it's quite a, a, a good following. Um, the most of the people that follow me are, have themselves between uh, 100 and 500 followers, which tell you they are not people that just do it uh, occasionally, but the people that have uh, somehow engaged with the tool quite continuously. The other aspect which is useful from the point of view of the statistic to understand who I'm talking to is um, the fact that um, over the 80% if you of the people that followed me use Twitter at least once a week. So this is uh, people who use it every tw at least every 24 hours. So this will be people who use it once a week. So it's people who have a continuous engagement with the two. But this instead give you something different from those were statistics that you can get automatically through a lot of apps that you got through Twitter so Twitter count to this one instead I had to do manually and uh, basically I went through all the people that follow me and tried out to link to the specific area of work I do so as I said before is academy academy policy and pu the public more generally so of the about thousand people that follow me uh, 374 would be in the policy domain under the entry in the media and 274 are academics of some kind and then 243 are others sometimes people don't write very clear description so it was quite difficult to basically attribute them to anything specific and of course there are academics who are also activists and uh, then so the things are a bit confused but this is more or less to give you an idea however if you this is uh, even more interesting this is basically what I call the outreach potential I basically uh, add all the followers of each of my follower. So basically, 
And this tells you basically how many people I could potentially reach if every people that follow me is spreading around my words, let's say. It's 1,240,000 in, in the policy domain. The media, it's um, about 170,000. Uh, the academy is about 160,000 people. Of course, it never happens that everyone is going to retweet your, uh, your message. But this uh, gives you a sense also how to target issues, because in a sense, sometimes you may have just 100 followers, but if this half 100 followers include uh, uh, President Barack Obama, for example, then you just need one retweet for reaching, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly how many, but I think it's 200, 200 million followers he has got worldwide. So you can see you, it's also important to have a sense both who are the followers, but also how many people follow them to give you an idea of uh, um, what your, is your potential as a, as a somehow with the tool. If you move to multimedia, I also work a lot with the various way of translating my, my work. And uh, these are just, of course, there is academic outputs as one of the first way of uh, translating the research findings. But I've also been uh, do, doing podcasting, videocast, uh, using the interview that I collected during my work to produce short films. Uh, with actors in person dramatizing the interviews and then uh, creating like three, four minutes clips that they can have. This or uh, at the moment, there is a, a, um, someone is writing a script based on the interviews I've done for doing a monologue in the theater. Uh, I've given a TEDx uh, talk uh, about a month ago. I don't know if you know what is TEDx, but it's this basically format of uh, what is called ideas worth spreading is the, the, the brand. It goes, uh, it's basically you give this talk that then they get uh, edited and then they get disseminated quite widely through a, a website that is the TED website and they can reach very large audiences and the idea is that you phrase your work in the terms of a big idea so it's not an academic out of itself but at the same time you really create a, a, uh, it can um, let your work reach areas where you normally don't go um, I write editorials for newspapers, also blog posts for other people's blogs as a way of then directing work, uh, attention towards my own work. Um, the, the photo is from the TEDx talk, and that there is a, a reason for putting it in there, and it's this one. So this is uh, the, my followers, the trajectory of my followers from the last six months. So you, they went from about 600 to uh, 1,100 now. Uh, over the, the next six months. When you see here, this is basically a, a, a leap in the number of followers. And it's interesting to see how these leaps are linked to uh, physical events. So the idea is that on this day, I had had the 20 followers just on one day, rather than the one, two that I was every day. And this was the day that I gave the TEDx talk. This is because the TEDx had, uh, uh, when they sort of disseminated the event, they, rather than put the emails of the person that speaks, they only put to the Twitter account, and the people that come there are very much somehow social media friendly. So the idea is that the real and the virtual events are increasingly uh, interconnected. And in, in a way, while the TEDx event was f just for 100 people paying a ticket in the theater, then the potential for people watching the video will be, I mean, last year, the one of my colleagues that gave a talk had over 6,000 views on the, on the 15 minutes talk, but there has been some other people I know that had over 100,000 views on, the, on their uh, TED talks. So you can see how we are working uh, as academic in a different environment, which is shifting quite uh, furiously, <laughs> quickly as well. Okay. So let's um, go back at the three domains. I want to go in each of them in turn more in detail, just to show the way that 
what I think are the best tools to engage with each of the three macro categories. So if I look at the, uh, my work in, uh, in the academic field and uh, my relationship with the, um, the way that I see my work and now this my work, I, I have identified uh, like four key stakeholders. Uh, of course, fellow scholars, students, uh, institutional networks and publishers. So if I, those are, these are based on the data on the, on the academy that was shown before, but just this um, um, dividing them according to the various, uh, the three main categories. So most of the people that follow me among the academics are other scholars or students. Um, and they are spread all over the world. So it's quite a, a, a very interesting potential if you think of the way you disseminate your work to reach out. Uh, um, there are also 18 publishers and uh, uh, 36, 36 between like a research network, research center, faculties. And uh, so in, in a way, if you look at the potential outreach of each of them, varies a lot because of course the, the uh, research center will have many more followers than an individual uh, student. Um, as for the publisher, it's not the point about how many people they can, uh, they have the, as a follower themselves, of course, as an academic, it's very important to uh, build a relationship with the, with the publisher, with an editor, and there are some publishers that work more than others with the, their authors. I mean, I, just an example of a recent, a recent exchange with uh, Palgrave. Um, um, I published a book with them two years ago, and um, it was an edited book on drama related, so it's nothing to do with what I do now in many, so many ways. But what happens is that Palgrave has got uh, about, I think, six to 7,000 followers on this uh, uh, specific account, Palgrave Sociology. What they do is, if I do a talk, without me asking, they will just retweet the talk. Or if I do a publication, I always post my new publication through the account, and then they pick it up, even if it's not with them, and they will spread, because from their point of view, probably it's something about creating a brand out of the, the author. From my point of view, it really helps, because it reaches a lot of sociology, fellow sociologists that are not my followers. So it's it's a kind of an exchange which is very fruitful. Um, instead, to reach for the academics be beyond Twitter, Twitter of course has got uh, 140 digits, so you cannot really say much academic there. I'm not even uh, the acknowledgement <laughs> when you write papers. The key tool that I would recommend any academic to use, much more than LinkedIn, for example, for, for an academic for spreading your work, is uh, academia.edu. Uh, basically, the key thing you do with academia.edu, I'll try to actually, let's see if the internet works, so I'll show you. Okay. So what you do is basically upload your publication, in a sense, and uh, add tags to them. So this means that uh, this is, for example, is a list of the publications. Some of them I put in the PDF. Some of them I just link to the page on the journal. Some of them there is just the title and nothing else. Um, you got on the side here the, the number of people who uh, has viewed my uh, specific publication. And uh, for example, some goes to 300, uh, something like that, or some are relatively new. In particular, you can see this one, the Refugee Community Organization, this person, I didn't put the PDF, so basically no one has read it. Um, and what happened is that from academia.edu, you can tweet your own publication and direct people directly towards the PDF of your publication that you put online. There are issues with copyrights. However, there are a lot of uh, work here that are uh, research reports that have no copyright problem, 
In some cases, there are like the latest draft before being proofread of an article that is there. Um, there is a chapter that was uh, freely accessible of my book that I linked to there. So, so this you try to find a way of, uh, of making people read as much as possible your work. Other journals, they were quite happy for me to put the article as a way of people then accessing the old journal issue. So you just need to discuss also with the editor of the journal. Um, the key thing about how useful it is this is that, that um, um, let me get something relatively. So if I get this one, uh, this is a, a recently published report um, that I did with Compass. For, um, uh, Compass is the Center of Migration Policy and Society here in Oxford. For each publication that you published, you had a number of tags. So, so for example, sociology of immigration, asylum, refugee, and things like that. Um, each person who is part of the academia community has identified a number of uh, research keywords that basically are the topics they are interested in. So on one side, you got people that are following you. So the concept is a bit the same, always like Facebook and Twitter. You got people that follow you as a person, and there are people who follow a topic. Your article, if it got targeted in that topic, it, it gets uh, pushed inside the, the mailbox of the people that follow that topic. So if I put, for example, sociology here, I got 10,000 people getting a notification of my article, which are not people that follow me, but in a sense, it gave a possibility to, so or again, to reach out to, to um, a larger number of, uh, oh, reader, anyway, I've lost the page. <laughs> um, okay, let's go back to the presentation, which is here. Okay. If we move into the policy, and I can go back later if you, are, you want to, Emo. The, the three key stakeholders that uh, identified, one are of course policymakers, then there are practitioners, a category that include also particularly lawyers that work on migration, uh, and NGOs as institutions, including both local NGOs and international NGOs. Um, so from, for example, the High Commission for Refugees, uh, UK office to Amnesty International to uh, local uh, NGOs in Birmingham. So it's, it's a quite broad range. Again, if uh, we look at uh, the profile of the, of the um, policy people that follow me, that you can see that mainly um, is made of individual practitioners or um, non-statutory non organizations, both national and international. Um, and especially organizations that tend to have a massive outreach. But uh, what I found more interesting here that uh, it's um, that Twitter allowed me to really enter in a dialogue with, for example, with lawyers, with uh, activists, and asking questions. So it's not about only disseminate your work, but I also use it a lot as a source of information for what I do. So this is uh, just an example of a, a recent thing I've been working on. So it was um, end of August, and suddenly the Home Office Twitter account, that normally doesn't tweet much, start to spread photos on Flickr and, uh, and the YouTube videos of their uh, enforcement operations. So basically they were basically catching illegal migrants and. Uh, and send them back home. And they were starting using social media as a way of disseminating their work. So through uh, a tweet that I received from an organization, I started to look into the things and uh, I've been uh, using that as a way for mobilizing to stop the operation somehow. I mean, in a sense, they have stopped to disseminate in this way. It's they didn't stop the operation, obviously. But it's also a sense of uh, um, starting a dialogue with the people in the field that sort of feed you with the, with the events that is particularly useful. 
Another aspect of this operation, this was probably the peak of my dissemination in the policy world when this thing happened. Where I wrote a, a blog post that I distributed through Twitter with the hashtag of Operation Mayapple. The hashtag is another thing, it's a bit of a tag, uh, like in academia, that you use to talk to people beyond your uh, normal reach. So I wanted to engage in the debate about this operation, so I put this hashtag that was there, so everyone who was interested in it could see my tweets. And, um, and the, 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 the blog post got retweeted like 40 times. The Facebook uh, page was shared another 40 times, which is, was quite a lot. So in a sense, again, you can see how the, through Twitter, through the blog, through the Facebook, are all interacting in a, um, and they have potential for what you do. Another uh, way of using to interact with the people is to produce, as I said before, multimedia work which are more accessible. So don't expect that people want to read their own report of your work. Normally when you do a policy report, you will write an executive summary, which is 3,000 words, more or less, a press release. What we start to do, especially with people from the Migration Observatory, that is um, a, a project within uh, the Compass Research Center on Migration Policy and Society that works a lot with the dialogue with the media is to produce short videos of five to six minutes in which you present to a, an educated audience, but not specialist, what your findings. And this has been, a, this kind of product have a kind of a parallel life in the sense that people can appropriate them, disseminate them, and not necessarily. Um, and some of them, uh, they may go to your own, the long report or your publication, other than be enough. For them, will be enough with it. Finally, the, um, um, the when I talk about the public more generally, of course, everyone is part of the public: the activists, the practitioners, before the academics. Uh, what I wanted to focus here was mainly about the the engagement with the media, both in terms of media organization and blogs, but also uh, of individual journalists, uh, photographers, uh, um, freelancers. Um, So as I said before, the, the way that I used to, to, com to engage with uh, um, a broader conversation that uh, goes beyond my own uh, uh, followers on Twitter is to use the hashtag. So there are some hashtags, especially for if you work on refugees, on asylum seekers, on migration, that you will be used. And these are just a sample like refugee, citizenship, migration, UK migration, undocumented, that, that basically start helps you also to create um, to see what is happening in the area that you are interested in. So not necessarily engage with them, but at least follow what people are talking about and then being able to engage. Because one of the things you notice um, from the way that, for example, blog work is you may write a fantastic short article and put it on your blog and then you have uh, like 10 people looking at it. If you manage to tie your, ar your article with something happening in, the, in these conversations, the, the, the viewers go up immediately and quickly. So, for example, I may have done an article a month ago, but if something related to that article is happening now, I will just retweet it. it and it, the thing has got a new life. It's a sort of... Uh, um, but also, I think there is uh, very much about the fact that, that through the use of these tools, you basically are nurturing a potential reader for your work, but also I got a lot of students that get in touch with me before they start the master course here. Uh, now there are people that seem to know you because of all the things you do, and then... Of course, you try to meet them because otherwise they get disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Pardon my ignorance, but I've heard a hashtag. I've not a clue what the thing is. I mean, you've got a little hashtag in front of a word. Yeah. It, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll um. Okay. I'll um. I'll uh, should go back to the Twitter page to show it to you. Shall I, can I just 
close, uh, we're almost at the end, then I'll show you how it works. Uh, basically, the hashtag indicate a topic, so the topic of the conversation. So, for example, if there was the Obama election, probably there was an hashtag that was hashtag Obama, and then everyone wanted to say anything about it, would put at the end of the 140 characters that you write down, hashtag Obama. This means that uh, everyone who's following this discussion on Twitter will see those, those uh, messages that you write. Uh, if you have uh, just a, a small number of followers, like let's say 10, 20, it's a very useful tool to reach out because everyone, not only your followers, everyone on Twitter who is interested in Obama will read your thing. And this is potentially also a way for them to then decide to follow you if they find what you say is interesting. So it's a, it's a way almost to tagging, to say, oh, I want to talk about this. And everyone, well, they may know it, but they may also read it. And it's a, it's a way how the people expand their reach. It's Yeah, no, the, the difference with, um, with Twitter is that, that there is a lot of, um, well, let's say, garbage produced. I mean, in a sense, there are people that see what are the main hashtag of the day, and they justify whatever they want to put the hashtag because they think that people read it. But people know it. I mean, they think the idea of Twitter is that there's a flow of information. It's not that you have to pay attention to each individual thing. It's not like someone writing you an email. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's somehow... A yeah, I don't even know how to define it as a metaphor, but there is something like basically an ongoing conversation that you can tap in and out uh, wherever you want. And through the hashtag, you can also retrace things, because in a way, if you want to, otherwise you get just this infinite list of things that people talk about. So it's a way also of organizing the material that is available online. Um, uh, as for the media in particular, at the moment I got uh, uh, about 40 blogs and media organizations that are uh, in my followers, and, and about 60 professional between uh, journalists, professional from the BBC, The Guardian, to a lot of freelancers that look for stories to write about, um, uh, mainly you-based. And uh, I mean, recently, for example, the, uh, a post I put it on the, on the website just this week, it talks about, uh, I don't know if you ever heard that the BBC Inside Out program in London did a piece on uh, um, stateless children in London, just on Monday, and this basically got uh, through the BBC News website, got picked up by a lot of people. They start to mix up terms like stateless, statuless, undocumented, and they made a big confusion. Of course, it was a, a kind of piece that everyone would feel kind sympathetic to because they were showing how these kids were living on the street. Um, and I was interviewed for the piece because people knew about my work, and I tried to, I gave them a quote, and they, they didn't use it at the end, but then they decided that the report once the report was cited, the BBC Brazil and the, the Russian uh, national broadcast got in touch and they did an interview with the national broadcast of, the, of the Russia that is available on their website, but there's also linked here. So on, the, on my blog, the what is it now, there is a link to the interview with the Russian broadcast, there is a link to the BBC report, and just based on this, then today I got an interview, uh, a phone call from the BBC Radio 4. They are preparing a program on this topic. They found out about my work through the blog, not because they read the report. And this is how it works. I mean, since I start to do much more work on the blogs and try to circulate, I mean, the number of in inquiries you get is not necessarily that you end up on the media, but I mean, I've done interviews with the Finnish uh, national radio. That's, I don't know where do they find out my name, but I guess through Google. Um, and, uh, and, and you increase, even in areas which are not completely your core area of research, but I mean, one thing that every media officer would tell you, yeah, you know, all, most of the time you know more of 
the average reader on the topic. If it's all about migration of asylum seekers, I don't need to just to be my small area of expertise that count. So just to finish, I think this is the last one. It's uh, why I think it's uh, the way, I mean, all these tools I use it, are used in a way for creating a, a public profile. And uh, the blog is very useful in particular to provide a platform for to be able to respond to events that are more or less related to research on the instant, on the moment. So there is something happening. Like for example, today the, the Home Office has been um, actually the criticized because of this back backlog of asylum cases that they haven't resolved. And there is a big debate. So I was preparing for this thing, so I didn't write any. But normally what I will do is to write a short post linking to other things I've wrote in the past. Just expressing my position. It's normally it doesn't take much time to write uh, 500 words, which is actually what you need for a blog post. But then if you build the link well, that will be enough to uh, being able to put your view out, having people look at it and, uh, um, and retweet it. Um, it's also extremely useful because, as I said, it's kind of a, it's the first protocol for journalists nowadays, and uh, to who are looking for experts. So it may not be true that I'm an expert, but for them, it's enough in most cases. And then you can decide if you want to talk about something or not. This is your choice, but it's better to have the choice of deciding that than just being known, even if you are the, the best expert in the world on a topic. Um, um, they also use a lot of, uh, the journalists will also look at, uh, at your um, public profile to see if you are a media friendly person. So if they can see a video or the photos or they see that you have spoken here or there, they will probably consider as a way of a uh, person that can be interviewed. Uh, and I, I spoke with a journalist who told me of this, so I said, how I found out. Um, and, uh, uh, and finally, the Twitter is very useful because sometimes I really don't have time to write a blog post. But Twitter, in a way, keep the conversation going. So you can write easily, like 100 characters, or retweet someone. And it keeps, anyway, your contribution to the general discussion ongoing. So that's, that's why it's, um, it's useful. OK, so that was what I wanted to say, more or less.